Well, good morning. I feel like we should all stand up and sing Who Built the Ark? Who Built the Ark? Noah, Noah. If you didn't bring a umbrella, I'm thankful that we have a supply out there and we have men that are willing to uh, get wet so we can stay dry. So thanks to the, the deacons that are out there running those umbrellas back and forth. It is a great blessing. It is good to see you today on this middle May Sunday. And I hope you got your yards mowed either Friday or yesterday because I think we're in for another week of, of rain. And by the time it stops raining, um, everybody's yard will be about a foot tall and we'll probably have to bring in a tractor to, to get them cleaned up and ready. But if you're joining us online, we're glad to see you. If you are here in person, it is good to see you. If you're visiting, um, it is our pleasure that you've joined us and we hope that you feel at home um, during our, our service this morning as we take time to worship together and hear from God's Word. just wanted to remind you about something you may have seen in your bulletin. We have a, a Connect card. We would love for you to communicate with us. If there's any information new that we need to know, any updated information, you can fill it out on that card as well as if you have questions or would like to know something, just fill it out um, and drop it in the, the box at the back on your way out where we collect the offering. Also, if you are are visiting with us and just want to ask for more information about the church, you're welcome to just fill this out and and leave it, and we'll be in contact with you. Uh, Before we read from Philippians chapter 2, I just want to remind you of three things that are coming up this week. First of all, tomorrow morning, 6.30 Elk Diner is men's breakfast, men's prayer. Um, So if you are willing and able and can get up, we would love for you to have breakfast with us and enjoy a time of prayer as we start off the week together. On Wednesday, there's two opportunities for you to be involved. There's Wednesdays at 11. We have our our adult Bible study. Somebody just asked this week, well, who can come to that? Well, anybody can come to that. There's no no age um, requirement. Um, If you are um, able, you are welcome. And the good news is we'll feed you lunch for the best deal in town, only $2.50. And even in the midst of rising prices, we have not increased the price of our lunch. So $2.50. So that's Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Also, Wednesday, 6.30 p.m., we'd love for you to join us here at the church for prayer. We take opportunity to pray for needs within our families, within our church body, within our community, and within our nation and our world. That's 6.30. We're usually done about 7.30. And then next Sunday morning, right after our worship service, we will take time to enjoy a fellowship meal together. You'll see information there in the bulletin concerning that. We'll take time to, to remember God's faithfulness, to celebrate His goodness, and to reflect on the past year and just honestly just enjoy time being together. It's been a long time since we've shared a, a meal together, and I think it's going to be a, a wonderful celebration. As we continue on this morning, I'd like to read from the second chapter of the book of Philippians. I'm going to read the first 11 verses before we take time to pray together. Paul writes this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you pray with me? Father, we find great encouragement this morning from your presence here with us. We thank you for your love that comforts. We thank you for your spirit that allows us to participate in the work and the ministry that you do. We thank you that you've given us a comforter, a helper. We thank you that you have given us in Christ the ability to have your mind. And so this morning we ask that we would lay aside our our burdens, our worries, our cares, and we would come before you and we would enter into your presence for worship. Oh, God, that you would help us today to see you high and lifted up. That we can leave this place truly saying that today we met with the living God and worshipped him in spirit and in truth. Help us to hear your voice with childlike faith, with loving obedience, and to walk in the truth that you've given us. Lord, help us to not grow dull in our faith, but constantly remind us of the needs of others the calling that you have on our lives to be salt and light, the calling that we have to be laborers that go out into your harvest. And so, Lord, while we meet together here today, gathered in your name, we are reminded of the many that don't call on your name, that don't believe in you, that don't place their trust in you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us compassion to reach out to those. Give us the spirit and the heart of the Lord Jesus that we would take the good news of Jesus to the streets and that evangelism would become a fire that burns in our bones and the need to tell and the desire to tell would grow and grow. And Lord, you would move us from complacency to action. Lord, warm our hearts this morning by your spirit as we worship together. Help us to see you Help us to see ourselves and help us to be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And we pray in his blessed name. Amen and amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions your truth will hold, your great love will lead me through. 
Happen to have a, a Bible. We'll be in James chapter two, and we'll look at the first thirteen verses together this morning as we continue on studying God's word. I was thinking about the rain and our covered walkway that we are intending to build, and this is how God has a hilarious, hilarious and his timing. Um, so the gentleman that's going to construct that contacted me the day after the business meeting, let me know, um, we're ready. We're going to get started on that. He updated the pricing, which had increased a little bit because of the metal. He contacted the concrete guy. The concrete guy came out. He did his measurements. He marked off everything with orange, um, paint and the uh, contractor declared that our concrete man is ready. And if the rain holds off. We're going to pour concrete. That was about 10 days ago. Um, and it's still going to rain. So I was thinking about, okay, something that we des- that we do need and we could use is being held off by what it's supposed to um, be preventing. And that's to help us keep dry. But it is in the works. And we are not going to complain about the rain because we live in Texas. And um, we have seen a lot of our state that has undergone extensive periods of of drought and so this rain is much needed for lakes and for folks and so we can certainly endure a little bit but we turn to james chapter 2 this morning and i want to just 
talk about something for a second, and that's the word favorites. You know, I, I have on my phone, I have a list of, of favorites, and those are people that I can call very quickly. Um, that's a, a short list of folks that I, I can touch. Deborah's at the top of the list, um, and then I have three or four other people, and you can just go right to your favorites and, and call them. Um, I have favorites on my, my Spotify playlist, songs that I, I you know, Click a little hard at the bottom because I want to hopefully hear that again. And some of you, if you listen to Pandora or Apple Music, you know, you have those favorites, things you want to hear over and over again. We have our favorite menu items, things that when we go to a restaurant, it's what we, we order over and over again. Or you have favorite things you, you like to do. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is the very real truth that in God's kingdom, in God's house, among his people, the church, there are no favorites allowed. You see those signs that say no pets allowed. Well, in God's church, there is no favorites allowed. And we're going to find out as we explore these 13 verses this morning that true faith rejects favoritism and values every person as a unique creation of God. So we're going to talk about Rejecting favoritism, choosing one over the other, and learning to value each person as unique and created by God. So let's read from God's Word. We're going to read the first 13 verses of chapter 2. We'll pause a moment to pray, and then we'll begin to look at these verses together. So chapter 2 begins, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and, have convicted and, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God, thank you that we can pause for a few moments on this Sunday and look at your word. And we ask for your help this morning. Help me to speak the truth that you would have me to speak. Help us to hear the things that we need to hear. And we thank you that we have your word and your spirit to guide us along the way. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray in your wonderful name. Amen. So true faith rejects 
favoritism or partiality that says in the ESV and values every person as a unique creation of God. Now, I kind of want to set some groundwork before we we move in and look at the verses. You're going to hear this word favoritism. You're going to hear the word partiality. But I don't want you to limit it to just the idea that, you know, you show somebody special treatment. I also want us to realize that it means not treating someone honorably. It's so the word prejudice could be very easily substituted into this. And we see that rampant in our society, even though we, in many ways, are unwilling to admit it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can all admit and we can all find areas when we, where we are prejudiced against different people. People that don't look like us. People that don't act like us. People that don't think like us. That we put up walls, we make judgments, and we treat them differently simply because maybe they don't look like us, they don't think like us, they don't act like us, or they're not what we think they should be. And James is very clear when he's speaking to his dear brothers and sisters. The first thing we need to see is that faith and favoritism don't mix. Oil and water don't mix. We've heard that many times, but faith and favoritism don't mix. And so he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You can't hold on to playing favorites and you can't hold on to faith at the same time. Now, I have to remind you that these verses, when we read the Bible, when we read Old Testament, New Testament, we have to remember that we didn't have chapter, in the day they were written, they didn't have chapter 1. They didn't have chapter 2. They didn't have verse 1, verse 2. And so James wrote a letter. And so we read it like a letter. And so we can't immediately just eliminate what we've learned so far in chapter 1 and jump into chapter 2 and say, well, what's he talking about? Well, what's he building an argument for? He's building an argument for true faith, a tested faith. And he ends chapter 1 telling us what pure and undefiled religion is. And that is to visit orphans and widows in their time of need and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. What's he talking about? He's talking about true faith is seen in a life that is transformed and a faith that is active. A person who lives differently because Jesus is in their lives and they live a life of self-giving obedience that is focused on others. That's why we read that passage in Philippians a little bit earlier, that we have the ultimate example of the Lord Jesus who humbled himself to death, the point of death, even death on a cross. He gave himself for others, and in that others you can say you and me. And favoritism, this partiality, is not compatible with genuine faith. So how would we define the word partiality? Or favoritism. Literally, the word means to receive or regard the faith of face of someone. It's the idea of sizing someone up, looking at who they are, what they are, and then deciding how we are going to treat them. We would say in our day, it's like judging a book by its cover. It's a very superficial judgment. And the word here is plural because it takes many forms, it includes prejudice, it includes bias, it includes discrimination. And basically it's this, it's choosing to honor or dishonor a person based purely upon your own personal perception. 
that you choose to regard somebody favorably or you choose to look down upon them simply based on your perception, what you see, what you think, what, and this is really dangerous in our day, what somebody else says about somebody else. It's very important in these days, especially if you watch the news a lot, to do your own investigation. To don't simply base your opinion on what somebody else says about another person or another policy. Because we are super talented and it's super easy to create things that look very real and very true that are not true. And with the advent of social media, it becomes very easy to put an opinion out there and people grab onto it and believe it about a person and it not be true. But we can't blame it on social media because this problem has been around since the very beginning and it's not consistent with faith. Why? James tells us, first of all, it's based on the wrong value system. You see, truth be known, faith in Jesus will lead us to begin to see people the way Jesus sees them. Because without Jesus, we are going to use the wrong value system. We're going to look at appearance. We're going to look at possessions. We're going to look at other external characteristics and make a decision about, okay, am I going to treat this person the way they, that I would want to be treated, or am I going to treat them another way? And those standards, no matter how good we think they are, they're poor and they're, they're sinful. But when we have faith in Jesus, everything changes. We begin to value people for what's on the inside and not, it's not what shows on the outside. And so we have the wrong value system. And because of that value system, we make the wrong distinctions. We make improper distinctions. We quickly begin to place people in categories. And we make up our own category titles. Democrat and Republican, conservative, liberal, rich, poor. You get the idea. We could go on and on. And we draw lines and we make divisions and we decide who's in and who's out. Who do we like? Who do we not like? And these distorted values create distorted categories. And we have a very real tendency to place each person we meet into one of our own categories. Some people go on our favorite list. Some people go on our unfavorable list. Some people go on our do a about face in the grocery store list because I don't want to see them list. And we all have those folks in our life. But those things are contrary to true faith. And so to help his readers... And to help us understand that, James gives us an example that may or may not have actually happened, but it could have happened, and it's a very real problem. Rich man, poor man, walking to church, same time, each person needs a place to sit. And the quality of their seat is based purely on their outward appearance. We have the rich man. He's got fine clothes and a gold ring on his finger. And in fact, the word there means gold ringed. And so he probably had more than one ring on his finger. And at the same time, there was a poor man dressed in shabby clothes, rags, we would call it. And in the story, who gets the attention? 
the rich man. Right this way, sir. So glad you're here. You sit here in a good place. They're falling all over themselves to make sure that he gets the best seat in the house. Simply because he's rich. He's got nice clothes, rings, and probably has a thick wallet. And so what does he get? Preferential treatment. What happens to the poor man? Sorry, no seats available. Oh, well, you could stand over there, or maybe you could sit down here at my feet. He's discriminated against. Why? Because he's poor, he's dirty, he's dressed in rags. And it's an ugly picture to look at. Imagine modern day ushers and deacons at the door. Two guys walk in, same two guys. And the people at the door are falling all over themselves for the rich guy. And the poor guy is lucky to even make it in the door, much less find a good seat. And James paints a picture to show us the visible actions that take place that are the result of those ungodly and improper thoughts. They show favoritism to the rich man. They discriminate against the poor man. And it's the result of their sinful thinking. And that's incompatible with faith. And it's unacceptable in God's kingdom. And as one commentator said, partiality towards people, this is what they're doing. They're showing partiality towards people because of their wealth. And they're treating their wealth as more valuable than Christ. I hope you caught it because it's, it's there in the verse that James identifies Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory. Hebrews tells us he's the radiance of God's glory. John tells us in John 1 that he's the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he's saying in that moment, you've made a choice, a distinction, and you have valued that rich person above the most valuable, the most glorious of all, the Lord Jesus, who would not have looked in that way. But here's the reality. Apart from Jesus, the human heart, we're always going to seek glory for ourselves. And we're always going to assign glory in improper ways. We will always choose things to be glorious that are less glorious than God himself. You may have received in the mail the last few weeks your property tax notice for 2021. You may have noticed that the trend is higher, 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 and there's no really end in sight. And that value is supposed to be made based on the structure that you have on the land and the land. And they look around and they find properties that are comparable to yours to assess the value. Many people believe their property is overvalued, and so they, they protest. In very real ways, we do the same thing. We value others using the wrong comparables. We're not comparing it to God's standards. 
You see, the second thing is that favoritism values the wrong things. Anytime we look at something from our own perspective, from the human perspective, or at least the rusty perspective, it may not be yours. It's generally selfish. It's external. It can be short-sighted. And our view is limited. But when God looks at things from his perspective, it's selfless. It's internal. He looks at the internal He looks at the heart and it's eternal. It sees the big picture and looks down the road to what's ahead. And the problem that James is addressing is that judging people by what we see or what we think or what we think we understand is wrong. Now, in this specific example, he uses wealth as the standard of value. The rich get the best seat in the house. The poor are given standing room only simply based on their appearance. This example is clear. It's easy for us to pick up, but the principle of his story extends to all other measures that we use. Gender, race, nationality, political beliefs, and we could go on. See, God looks Beyond our bank balance, God looks beyond the color of skin. God looks beyond the clothing that we wear. God looks beyond our gender and he looks and he sees a person with a soul in need of his love. Each person is examined like an x-ray or an MRI and he doesn't look at the outward appearance. First Samuel tells us that God looks at what the heart. Acts 10 tells us that God's not a respecter of persons and he makes no distinctions. Listen to this verse from Galatians 3, 28. Paul writing, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no dividing lines in God's kingdom. But if we are not careful Even with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will use outward appearance to form our own opinion. Which will lead us to respect certain people and disrespect other people. To place them in those categories as acceptable or not acceptable. In our group or out of our group. But the Bible gives us guidelines about how you and I should view others. First, everyone's created in the image of God. Everyone's unique. They're a creation and they're loved by God. God loves everyone in the world. God loves radical socialist left-wingers. God loves conservative Christians. God loves a straight male who's been married faithfully. And God loves a transgender that is struggling with identity. God loves them. We make distinctions. God loves them. 
And I hope we're going to see in a minute when we get to mercy that God gives us the ability by the power of His Spirit to see people as He sees them. We have an example in the Bible. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You may wonder why in the world are poor people over and over looked upon. You know, you have poor people, lepers, you have widows, you have orphans. It's because the people in that day, they were the ones that were the most downtrodden. And so this lawyer comes to Jesus and they're having this discussion. And you remember the question. You know, Jesus tells him, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as myself. And the lawyer thinks he's smart. And he says, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus begins to tell a story, a parable of a man who was on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And he was fell upon by robbers. He was beaten. He was left for dead. And two super religious guys happen upon him. There's a priest and a Levi. And they pass on by on the other side. And then a Samaritan, an outcast by Jewish standards, has compassion on him, takes care for him, and even leaves money there to make sure that he's cared for. And Jesus, after he tells this story, asks this lawyer, who was the neighbor to the man? And the lawyer is at least listening enough to realize this, and he says, the one who had mercy on him. See, the priest and the Levi didn't lack time to help the man. They lacked compassion. Each surveyed the situation. They made their own judgment. And in that moment, whether they said it with their lips or not, their action said, this person is not worth my time. That's what favoritism or prejudice does. It says, you're worth my time, but you're not worth my time. It's a lack of compassion. Our Declaration of Independence. Maybe a long time since you've read it. I don't know, you may have it posted on your wall. You may have it memorized. But you may remember hearing these words at some point. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain un- in unalienable rights, That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, government are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. The founding principle of the United States of America. All men are created equal. And that the laws of government should be made to support these values. It's what we hope exists in our day. I'm not sure that it does. That's the United States. But what about God's kingdom? God's kingdom values all people without any exceptions. And love and respect is to be expected for everyone, not just people that we deem our favorites. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Anyone, man, woman, Jew, Greek, slave, free, white, black, Hispanic, straight, homosexual, Democrat, Republican, all can be saved. And the laws of God's kingdom support and protect these values. You see, the third thing we have to see that James points out is that favoritism violates the royal law. 
Now, we don't have to go far to find out what the royal law is because James helps us. Look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing your well. So royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a quote from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It's repeated by Jesus in the New Testament. And Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, says this about it. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's royal because it's a decree from our king. It's a decree from Jesus. And it helps us to understand what it means to not show favoritism. So what does it really mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, it's first of all, it's more than just a, a warm, fuzzy feeling about someone. Because, let's be honest, we like a lot of people. But there's probably not a lot of people, if you really look at it, that you love. Because love takes action to look out for the welfare of others. Or here's a definition. Love takes genuine interest in another person that leads to doing what it can to help. It's compassion that moves us toward action. Jesus said that loving your neighbor was second only to loving God with everything you have. And when we choose to love our neighbor as ourself, it's beautiful. It expresses the heart of God. It follows His law of love and it brings the satisfaction of obedience. James points it out and says, you are doing well. It is commendable to love your neighbor as yourself. And here are the principles that lie behind the law. We read them earlier in Philippians chapter 2. Considering others better than yourself. Looking out for the interest of others. And having a humble mind. The mind of Christ, the one who is the servant king. But here's what's ugly. Favoritism violates the law of love at every level. Because what does it do? It considers some better than others. It serves self-interest or the interests of others that may fit into our perspective. And it ignores people, it undervalues people, it attacks those who don't fit our mold. It's prideful, it's selfish, it's contrary to the command and example of Jesus. And no matter how you look at it or try to ignore it or try to explain it away, it's ugly. In fact, favoritism is sin. James points out that the same law, the law of freedom that should motivate us, also convicts us when we disobey it. When you or I cross the lines that God established and make distinctions among people by our own criteria, the Bible's clear we're guilty. Period. End of sentence. And we're not just guilty of breaking one little sin. No, James says we're guilty of breaking the entire law. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Think of it this way. If you had a chain 
and you broke one link of the chain, we would say that the chain is broken. But yet some people think, yeah, but it's really not that big a deal. It's just the way I grew up. It's just the culture I live in. It's just Johnson County. Or, you know, I've never killed anybody. But here's the truth. Whether it's favoritism or some other sin, when you break one of God's rules, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. You are at that point a lawbreaker or, as James says, you're a transgressor. And we don't have the luxury of picking and choosing like from a buffet, what we will obey and what we won't obey. Because every sin matters to God. And favoritism, partiality, prejudice, they're not excusable actions. They are sin. And we can't look back and say it's our heritage, our past, or it's their fault. No, it's just, it's sin. And when you commit one of these acts, then you're a violator, a willful violator. You're going to be held accountable and you're going to be judged by the same law that is meant to set you free. So before we look at mercy, just review quickly. Favoritism, it doesn't mix with our faith. It values the wrong things. It opposes God's law. But there has to be a remedy. There has to be an antidote for favoritism. What in the world will lead us to love our neighbor? What will transform our broken perception of people and alter our viewpoint of the world? What's going to cause you and I to look at those around us as our neighbors? What causes God to hold back on what we deserve in hopes that we repent and trust Him in faith? Here's the word. The word's mercy. And while faith and favoritism are not compatible, faith and mercy go hand in hand. That's the fourth thing you'll see in your outline. We read about it in verses 12 and 13. But let's get a definition. What's mercy? It's kindness towards someone plus a desire to help them. In Vincent's word pictures of the New Testament, he says it this way, kindness and goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them. It's the word picture in Greek of seeing someone in misery and wanting to do something to help relieve their pain. It's having a compassionate heart that moves you to help to do something, to take action. And we see it perfectly pictured in God Himself that out of His goodness and love, God patiently holds back the judgment that we all deserve as sinners, even though His justice demands it, in hope that we might repent and turn to Him and see salvation. It's mentioned other places in the Bible, but listen to Psalm 86.15. Listen to what David said. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Oh, our God holds back 
what transgressors, sinners deserve. And His grace lovingly offers what we could never earn, forgiveness, salvation, and freedom. And men and women who grasp a hold to that, who grab a hold of Jesus, that have understood God's mercy, are merciful toward other people. And you can see it in their heart. You can see it in the way they talk and in the way they act. They have a faith that's genuine and that's active. And they look at others with kindness. They see their worth. They may not agree with their actions. But they don't make judgments. They don't show partiality. They haven't prejudged that person. And they look on them with compassion And then they step forward and they do something about it. See, when I mentioned earlier that you have to read these letters as a whole, you go back to the end of chapter 1, pure and undefiled religion. What did those two things come down to? Compassionate service. Seeing needs and reaching out to meet them. And then living a holy life. And those that show mercy, understand mercy. And they're going to receive mercy on the day of judgment. Jesus in the Beatitudes, Bless the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, or they will receive mercy. But the other side of the coin is those that do not show mercy. James says, Judgment is without mercy. So people that don't show mercy should not expect to receive mercy from God. Another way of saying that, someone who continues to show favoritism, continues to live a life of prejudice, should not expect to receive mercy from God. But then he goes on and he ends this section with just a short sentence, four words, mercy triumphs over judgment. We see it beautifully pictured in salvation that God's mercy in Christ toward men brings freedom from the pull and the power of sin. It brings victory over judgment and condemnation. It made a way where there was no way for you and I and all who come by faith to be accepted through Jesus' death on the cross. see, God is rich in mercy, the Bible tells us, and His mercy is great. And mercy wins out over judgment every time. God's mercy has an undefeated record. Nothing can stand against it. And that same mercy that fought and won the battle for your freedom and your salvation can help us in, fight, in fighting and winning the battle in our lives over The ugliness of favoritism. You see, when we grasp, when we understand the mercy that God has shown to us, when we learn to walk in forgiveness and freedom, when we learn to respond to God with gratitude and generosity, mercy will begin to flow from us. Because it's not something we create, it's something God creates in us by His His Spirit and that pours out from us. And when God's mercy shows out in our lives, you know what happens to judgment? Judgment is defeated. Walls come down. Distinctions dissolve. And we begin to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And favoritism just washes away in the ocean 
of God's goodness and His love. And mercy, when it's produced in the human heart and it flows out to other people, is a proof of true faith. Because remember, true faith rejects favoritism and values every person as a unique creation of God. So as we finish, let me just give you some questions to think about and then some things to know. First question, how has God shown me mercy? It's a reflection question. I encourage you to do it. Hopefully that will generate in you gratitude and generosity. How has God shown me mercy? could be just as easy as on one side of a paper put how rotten I really am and on the other side put how much God loves me. Second question. Does my neighbor list meet meet God's standards? Remember that question back to the, the lawyer? Who is my neighbor? Do the people that we consider neighbors meet up to God's standard? Or would we say it's more of a favorite list? We would have those that are excluded. We have some that we show partiality to. And then a third question. Who will I show mercy to this week? So reflection, confession, repentance, and then action. Moving out. Who will you show mercy to this week? And then let me give you some things to know. Know this. God can change your perspective. A lie from the enemy is simply this. It's who I am. I'll always be this way. God can change your perspective if you are willing. Second, love is a choice. It's a responsibility. It's something that we are stewards of, the love of God. But actually the action of love is a choice. And we make that choice either every day to either extend love to others or withhold love from others. And then the last thing to remember, because it's just so encouraging, mercy wins. Mercy wins. God shows mercy. When I was beginning to to look at this passage this week, on Monday, I, I wrote down, I'm, I'm not a poet, um, but I, I wrote down a poem that helped me kind of get my mind around this. And I want to share it with you before we, we pray. Do I really love my neighbor, though he doesn't look like me? I judge him in an instant by what my eyes can see. I formed my own opinion, made my mind up from the start. While man looks out the outside... God looks at the heart. You never really knew me, though you judged me anyway. I know just what you're thinking by what you do and say. I can tell you do not love me. Our lives seem miles apart. While you look at the outside, God looks at my heart. In Christ, there's no distinction based on gender, class, or race. He came to bring salvation and not harass. If you want to love your neighbor, here's some wisdom to impart. While man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. Can we pray together? Father, we 
our face this morning with an ugly truth and a beautiful promise. And the ugly truth is that when we are honest with ourselves, that we show favoritism. That we are partial toward some and discriminatory toward others. That even though we don't think so, that we're prejudiced in some way, if not many ways. God, help us to not judge ourselves by the world standards. By not comparing ourselves to someone else and say, well, at least I'm not like that. Or at least I'm not like that person or better than that person. But Lord, hold us in this moment accountable to the law of liberty, to the royal law, to the example of the King of Kings, to the humble servant who suffered and died. And Lord, help us to not turn our face away quickly from the true mirror of your word that shines into our hearts. But Lord, help us to look intently into this law of liberty and to see ourselves as we truly are. Because God, if there are warts in our life, we want them gone. If there's blemishes on our our face as we look into your word, we want them you to remove them. And so God, we are asking you in this moment through your mercy that wins to help us to fight the battle against favoritism. That we would see people as you see them. That we would see individuals created in your image and Lord, that we wouldn't look at the outside but we would look at the heart. And we would see hearts in need of love, hearts in need of acceptance, hearts in need of a Savior. And we would see beautiful hearts in the midst of rough exteriors. Lord, help us to see through the external fluff and to see into the lives of people as you do. And Lord, remind us that your mercy wins. That mercy moves past our shortcomings, our failures, and goes to the very heart of our matter, of of the matter. That we are desperately in need of a savior, a rescuer, a deliverer, someone to set us free. And God, you provided that, and then you patiently waited for us to simply raise our hand and say, God, I need you to rescue me. And that you threw out the lifeline. And you brought us home. Oh God, we want to be a part of a body of people that says there's no favorites allowed. God, we want to be people that are not disqualified from reaching out to all kinds of people because of what we think or how we act. So give us compassionate hearts that love our neighbor that will move us toward taking visible steps of obedience that result in meeting the needs of others, showing your love and sharing truth that still transforms. Oh God, help us this day.
And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have opportunity as we sing in just a, a second to respond to God's word as he's spoken to us this morning. And maybe you just need to spend some time just thanking the Lord Jesus for his mercy shown toward you, that you've been a benefactor. Maybe there's something specifically, a situation or a person that you know that you're not showing mercy in that and you you need to just ask God to forgive you and to repent. Or maybe there's that person on your heart, you're thinking, okay, this afternoon or tomorrow, boom, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show mercy to that person. Whatever it is. Or maybe it's just fallen at the mercy of the Lord Jesus this morning saying, Jesus, I've wandered far away and now I'm coming home. Or Lord Jesus, I place trust in you for the first time. Will you join in standing together? Let's sing together. Let's listen to the voice of the Lord and let's respond as he speaks. together. Just pray the Lord would would bless you throughout the day and through the next week and in the midst of the raindrops that you'll find God to be faithful and you'll be able to still achieve the things that you you hope to do. Don't let the rain drown out your your joy in the Lord. We're going to sing a song today. Thanks for being here this morning when we begin singing. You're free to go. Lord bless you. 
My lighthouse.